Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here, and it's, it's good to be together. It's good to be together, especially in these emotionally charged times. There are studies being done right now revealing that people of all ages are all over the map emotionally these days. Many are grieving losses from the pandemic, uh, from loved ones that are gone, from the loss of a job, even the loss of a dream, but also wrestling with deep feelings that come from wars and natural disasters and social unrest and economic instability and adding to those emotional storms are anger and frustration and polarization and hate speech and canceling all going on all over our world. And we feel it because we are created with emotions. Like when we see some images, we have some emotion like this image here of these cute little puppies and a little girl. Uh, doesn't that just make you go, mmm? But then there's also images like these coming from the ravages of war, uh, children caught in the crossfire, and we feel the pain and the anguish of what people must be going through. And then there's those wonderful emotions and feelings of a wedding. People excited in love and watch a couple joining together, and it's really encouraging and wonderful. And yet there's also those feelings of realizing we hear about the homeless crisis, and it's not just individuals, it's full families on the street. And we feel this incredible roller coaster of emotions. And we feel, and it's okay. It's okay to feel excited and on top of the world. And it's okay to feel sad. Just like what Colson was talking about earlier and sorrowful to lament. Uh, last week, uh, Steve shared a, a verse with you. It's found in the Bible book of Ecclesiastes uh, uh, chapter three, an interesting chapter there that where the, the one of the wisest men that ever lived uh, begins to start talking about life and the seasons of life. And in this, he says, uh, for every thing, there is a season and for every time, for every matter under heaven, verse two of Ecclesiastes chapter three, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. And then jump down to verse four. It says a time to weep a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And there is a time to grieve. There is time to lament. Lament is about releasing, letting out the painful emotions like fear and doubt and confusion and bewilderment and anger and shame and guilt, that wanting sense to wanting to quit or sadness. Sometimes it's silent Sometimes it's outward with, with cries and sobbing and kneeling and sighing and whimpering and even those ugly cries where you know, our nose begins to run and, and, uh, and we kind of feel sick. In all this, God knows our inner pain and he's okay with it. Even when we are struggling with him. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And the Bible gives us words, poems, to help us express those deep feelings of sorrow. Matter of fact, in the Bible book of Psalms, there's many of these Psalms of lament, these Psalms of sorrow. 
Psalm 3, Psalm 5, verse, and 5, 5 through 7, Psalm 13, 17, 22, 25 to 28, 32, 38, 39, 42, 43, 51, 54 to 55, Psalm 59, Psalm 61, 63, 64, 69 to 71, 86 to 80, 86, 88, Psalm 102, Psalm 109, Psalm 120, Psalm 130, Psalm 140 to, one, to 143. You kind of get the picture that God is okay with lament. Also with the Bible book of Lamentations, because there is a blessing. There is a blessing when we express those deep feelings of sadness. For when we lament to God, there is proof of a relationship we have with God because we go to him and we, we, we open up that opportunity to talk with God and that in that there's a pathway to intimacy with God because we can reach God at a, at a deeper level. There's a, there's a tremendous opportunity for us to open our, the deeper parts of our soul to God and, and a prayer, a time to interact with God and talk with God and ask him to act. And there's also a participation with others who struggle. There's a fellowship of the sufferings, the Bible talks. Lament is a good thing. And in this season of Lent, this is speaking of the length of days uh, from Ash Wednesday, a couple Wednesdays ago, all the way through to Easter Sunday, uh, this, this Lent is a time to focus on Jesus where we lament what he did to deal with our sin and lament over our own sin that nailed him to the cross. This time before Easter is a good thing. This lamenting time before Easter, for it has us face our arrogant assumptions, allows for vulnerability on our part and opens us open space to renew faith. And I really challenge you to take on the opportunity this time before Easter to look into God's word even more. Some of you on the, on the worship folder talks about the Biola uh, devotional that's there. You can log into and have them send you an email every day to the link, or you can just take up your Bible and look through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and begin to look at Jesus's life. Or some have even, uh, uh, have taken the opportunity to uh, tune into the TV series called The Chosen and start from season one and go all the way through. Those are great. It's about, it's about the story of Jesus' life in an artistic way. It doesn't follow the Bible exactly, but it's very close and it's very wonderful. But to help us lament well in this season of Lent, we are walking through this interesting Bible book of Lamentations. Last Sunday, Steve Ellis, one of our elders and on our preaching team, opened up the book, giving us some historical background. And this Sunday, we're looking at Lamentations chapter two, talking about processing our distance from God, specifically bringing out three ways to draw closer to God in these times of lament. For lamenting distance from God can lead us to a deeper connection to Jesus's presence and his peace. So let's explore Lamentation chapter two. But before we do, if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet and let's pray and ask God to encourage us. Now, it's not going to be a full downer all day today. So just, you know, it's okay. Uh, but there'll be some challenges in here to kind of go a little bit deeper. And I hope you're willing to do that. Let's pray and ask God to meet us there. Father God, thank you for um, great times of emotional highs and yet, Lord, some times of emotional lows. And Lord, I'm guessing in a room this size and the people here and online that there's probably some deep lamenting going on, maybe even from a distance from you. So God, I'm praying that today as we walk through this very interesting poem, God, that you will help us and challenge us and draw us ever closer to you, that we can 
not only know that you are there, but actually sense that you're there in our lives. So bless us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat and encourage you to uh, take out the outline that you received in the worship folder that you were given as you walked in. Also, if you're online, uh, that's available in some of the helps in our webpage. Uh, Jot down some notes or some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. Uh, There's also a study guide, and I really encourage you to pick up the study guide this week because there's some links to some videos you'll want to look at and and some important things involved in there. Those links are also on our website, so you can just go to the website and just follow the link instead of trying to type it all in. Uh, It would be encouraging for you in that way. And our hope is that you would take the time, these extra verses and the the verses that you write down, you look at them afterwards, go to the website, look at some of the materials there. There's some great videos, especially about the overview of Lamentations that you want to look at to help you understand this book a little better and understand what God wants you to get out of it. Uh, That section in in the webpage is called Revive. I believe it's on our front page now, but there's also a link to our podcast, which we do most each week where we go a little deeper as well. And so I encourage you with that. Well, the nation Israel uh, had made a contract with God. If they follow God's good laws, his statutes, his commands, his guidelines, they would be blessed. And oh my, were they. Out of any people in the world at that time, they were incredibly blessed. But if they didn't follow God's good statutes, commands, guidelines, they would face God's judgment, his anger, his Wrath. Now we're going to talk more about this as we go along, but God's wrath and anger are not vengeful aggression. They're not like the human emotion of anger and, and wrath. God's wrath and anger are not vengeous aggressions, but God's right consequences of not following his way. It's like if you don't follow the law of gravity and choose to kind of try to fly off a building, it, it's, you're going to face the consequences of the law of gravity. In the same way, if you go off living life against God's law, God's way, you're going to face the consequences of that. Now, yet human nature feels like there should be no consequences to anything we do, only blessings and butterflies. Unless someone wrongs us, then we want full vengeance and, 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 and a bountiful payout. Yet God is not like that, and neither is God's way like that. God is slow to let us face the consequences of our misuse of life and not following his right and good way. Psalms 86 verse 15 says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word mercy means holding back what we do deserve. That God is slow to hold back what we do deserve. But God is also gracious in that he lavishes on us blessings that we don't deserve. And he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word chesed, which is the great loving kindness, unconditional love. God loves us despite anything we do. And you can't erase out God's love. You can't stop the flow of God's love. It's like the air we breathe. It's just there. And we can choose not to experience or not, but you know, you hold your breath forever and it doesn't do any good, but it, 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 God's love is there. And slow meaning he's patient or willing to wait. God is waiting for us to lament our mistakes, confess our sin and repent and stop and turn back to him. Now, one of the video links that I've listed there is a one done by the Bible project that shows God's slow to anger. You can just even Google that slow to anger Bible project. And you'll come with this very short video that really explains that. Well, I encourage you to learn about that because God waits. God is slow to his anger. 
But there comes a time God turns us over to the consequences of not following his will and way where his wrath is realized and his hot anger is felt. And that happened to Israel. They had not followed God's law time and time and time again. And God was slow to that, but finally gave them over and they were taken into exile, treated horribly, faced great consequences. And they endured a distance from God until they finally came to a place of lament. And we are reading through that lament. A time of sorrow, a time expressing deep feelings, even venting frustrations with God, protesting how life is and processing all the emotions and confusions. Yet in that reconnecting with God that we see that in Hebrew poetry in this uh, five major poems of five chapters of lamentations. They're all poems. Now chapter one, two, four, and five are the uh, basically the same. They're acrostics, alphabetic acrostics. They, they start there. There are 22 verses in each one. They all start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, and all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. Except for chapter three, chapter three is different. Still following an alphabetic acrostic, but now three verses for every letter. Three verses for Aleph, three verses for Beit, three verses for Gimel, all the way through the Hebrew alphabet in that regard. This is important because in trying to understand this poetry, we can't just read it verse by verse or take one verse out and go, oh, that's interesting, because they all fit together. And the order of things is not based on a chronological order, but on the alphabetic order, because that's how poetry works. And it's Hebrew poetry works. It's meant to be read as a whole and subjects dealt with as a whole. And being Lamentations 3 is in the middle of these two uh, poems. It is meant for us to always come back to it. Saying as we lament from life and and facing the consequences of choices and, and realizing that distance from God, we're to keep coming back to God's love and his mercy and his faithfulness. Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 to 24, the steadfast love, the chesed of, of, of God, of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him, not in the circumstances, not in whether it's good or bad or whatever, but I'm, my hope is in the steadfast love of the Lord and his new morning mercies. Because when we mess up, when we miss God's mark, when we sin, it creates a distance from God. Not that God leaves us, but that we turn our back on him. And Lamentations 2 is processing through that felt distance. And yet through that, we can find these three ways to draw closer to God in times of lament. For lamenting distance from God can lead to a deeper connection to Jesus' presence and peace. The first way to draw close to God in lamenting is to name the consequences. How does it feel when we're distanced from God? Well, I want you to listen. Take your Bible and open up to Lamentations chapter 2. And let me read for you these first 10 verses in Lamentations chapter 2. And listen to see if you can identify with any of the feelings in this. Lamentations chapter two, verses one to 10. 
Oh, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion. Zion is, is the city of Jerusalem. It's the land of the, of the, of, of Israel. It's the people of Israel all in concept with this idea of what Zion is. So when you read Zion, think Israel, Jerusalem, and all of the territory of Israel. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from the heaven to earth, the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of anger. You can feel those words under a cloud cast down, not remembered. Verse two, the Lord has swallowed up without mercy, all the inhabitants of Jacob And in his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor, the kingdom and his rulers without mercy, wrath, broken down, brought down dishonor. Verse three, he has cut down in fierce anger, all the might of Israel. And he has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of an enemy. And that phrase would have sent a, "Ah," because they always desired the right hand of God to lead them. He has withdrawn his right hand from the fa- in the face of his enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow, verse four, like an enemy with his right hand to set like a foe. He has killed all who delight in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. You can almost kind of feel the off the page here. They're, they're sensing, they're understanding the consequences and they're naming the consequences of being distant from God. The Lord has become like an enemy. He's swallowed up Israel. He swallowed up all its places. He has laid to ruin its strongholds and has multiplied the, the daughters of Judah in mourning and lamentation. Verse six, he has laid to waste his booth like a garden. He has laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festivals and Sabbaths, those precious times when God would meet with his people in those incredible uh, festivals that we all talked about a few months ago. And in fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar and disowned his sanctuary. You can feel the emptiness there. He has delivered into the hands of the enemy, the walls of her places and has raised a clamor in the house of the Lord on the day of the festival, the Lord determined to lay to ruin the walls of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out the measuring line and he has restrained. He has not restrained his hand from destroying. He has caused rampart and wall to lament and languish together. Her gates have sunk to the ground. He has ruined and broken the bars. Her Kings and princes are among the nations. The law is no more. That law was precious because it connected them to God and her prophets find no vision There's no voice from God. The elders of Zion, daughters of Nyan, sit in the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. Young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. (sighs) Kind of light reading, huh? You can just feel the angst and the anguish, the distance and the torment of the distance from God. They are feeling it and it's very real and they named it. The reality of God's wrath and anger, his judgment and giving over the consequences of sin is horrible. Many of you have felt that. Some of you are feeling it even right now. 
I know in the past I have felt that. When I was a new believer in high school, I got caught up into sin. And I liked it. I was experiencing even a sense of peace from it. So I kept at it. And yet time and time again, the Holy Spirit would convict me, but, but I passed it off because I liked it and it was fulfilling to me. And then God gave me over to the sin. And I felt like never before his wrath and anger and the distance from God was literally unbearable. My sin had also affected another. And it was used by the enemy to destroy a life. I have to live with that. People don't mess with sin. Because sin will destroy your life. It will create and turn you away from God. And you will face his wrath and his anger in that way. Sure, if you're a believer, you won't lose your salvation. But you will go through life miserable. And I'm not just talking about the biggies. It's also the sin of putting self first. Filtering and making decisions by how we feel and what we want and what is comfortable for me. Be careful. Don't turn your back on God to go after the idol of self. And maybe one of the reasons you identify with the feelings described in these verses of Lamentations 2 under a cloud, ruined, cast down, not remembered, is that is what a distance from God feels like. But we don't have to stay there. It does not have to stay that way. Psalm 30 verse five says, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the the night, but joy comes in the morning. Our response is to turn back to God. You know what, what the Bible word for turn back is? Repent. That means to stop and go towards God to embrace his love and his mercy. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to again. You can keep coming back to God time and time and time and time and time again, and he will always welcome you back. And those are found in Jesus who brings us peace with God and peace from God. Romans Chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the reality of life is that we were born separate from God. There is a distance, a disconnect, even an enmity and a strife between holy God and sinful human beings. And there's nothing we can do to kind of bridge that gap. We can't try to be good, memorize scripture, give all all we have, uh, study, be to church all day long. That doesn't help this distance. We need a savior. And that's why Easter is so exciting because Jesus is the one who took the sin of the world upon himself, died and rose again, proving that he is the answer to our sin problem. 
And when we come to faith, when we believe that we're sinful, we need a savior, and that is Jesus, that gap is bridged. And we have now peace with God. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But yet we can still turn our back on him when we sin and feel his wrath and anger. But we can receive peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We can experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. When we embrace God, that peace fills our life. It makes no sense. Even in the midst of trial and struggle and tribulation, we can have peace because the peace of Christ dwells within us. And though we believe we can turn our back on God and subject to the consequences of our sin and experience the non-peace or turmoil or distance from God, yet we can turn back. Maybe some of you need to turn back today. I did from that devastating time of sin and the peace of God that settled in my heart is amazing. I don't ever want to go back there. I don't ever want to be distant from God. The chi lamenting distance from God can lead to a deeper connection to Jesus's presence and peace. Lamenting and naming the consequences as we turn back to the Lord. It starts when we own the choices. It is to realize our sin. Go back to Lamentations chapter 2. Now we're looking at verses 11 to 17. Now this is a poem. All things and, and subjects are, are jumbled about, but you can see and you can feel uh, the, the, the sense in the, the, as these people are beginning to own their sin. Verse 11, my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. Verse 11, my bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my daughter, my people. You can sense that in there, jumping down to verse, uh, the latter part of verse 13, for your ruin is vast as a sea. Who can heal? You can sense that, that they're beginning to realize that their sin has caused this distance. And now look what they say in, in verse, uh, 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 verse 14, your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but they have seen for your oracles that are false and misleading. Jump down to verse 17. The Lord has done what he has purposed and he will carry out his word, which he commanded long ago. And he has thrown down without pity because they did not follow God's way. And he has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. They're seeing their sin. They're recognizing they have messed up and are experiencing God's wrath, his anger, his judgment, and the consequences of their sin. They realize even their prophets, ah, it's okay, you don't follow God's law, come on. You don't need, it's not, that just was written for somebody else. And they were giving them false leadership and telling them they don't need to deal with their sin. And yet they realize it. And you can feel that sense of brokenness. Not just saying, I'm sorry. You know how people say they're sorry these days? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They don't really mean that. They're just trying to get out of the consequences of that. I said, I'm sorry. Yeah, but you don't show it. There's no brokenness there. You were truly sorry there would be a brokenness. As Steve mentioned it last week, 
talking about King David and his horrible sin. King David was messed up big time. Murder, adultery, lying, a huge self-focus, and all the decisions that went along to that. But David turned back to God. And you can read his confession. It's written down for us if you go to Psalms chapter 51. Looking at, and let me just read you a few excerpts from here. Verse 3, David is expressing and confessing he is owning his choices here. For I know through my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David's not passing off blame on somebody else. He's owning it. Verse 16, for you do not delight in sacrifices or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart is out of humility. We approach God, not, not with empty sacrifices of our time. Oh God, I'm going to church. I'm giving some money. No, he wants your heart. He wants that brokenness of your heart. That pride, broken, humble attitude where our self-will is smashed, crushed, and sacrificed, given over to God. That's when we're empowered and emboldened as a child of God. Where Christ is at the center, the greatest influence in our life, our king, our leader, our boss, our coach, our Lord. It's, it's, it's immersing ourselves in Jesus Jesus in talking to his people in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he said this, he said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, for my way of life is light. And a paraphrase there, you will find yourself in that. That idea of taking the yoke upon us is to immerse ourselves in Jesus's lifestyle. And if you want to experience a greater connection with the Lord, enter in with that, that sacrifice of a broken and contrite heart and to own your choices because Jesus's way is better. Always. It's not some self-help or, or some other guru out there that tells us how to have relationships and all of that. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. You want to be a better spouse? Look at Jesus. Follow his commands. You want to be a better boss, a better employee, a better student, a better person? Follow Christ. That's where it's found with him at the center of life. But it comes from a broken and contrite, humble heart. Owning those choices that moved us away from God. For lamenting distance from God can lead to a deeper connection to Jesus, his presence and peace. Own those choices. But had you turn your back on God and turn back around to him. All this takes that honest cry out to God. You can see that now. And um, as you go back to Lamentations chapter two, now looking at verse 18, their heart cried to the Lord. They're crying out to God. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent Day and night, give yourselves no rest, no eye, uh, no respite, your eyes, no respite. Arise, cry out at the night, at the beginning of the night, the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift hands to him, 
for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Yes, it's a pouring out of a heart in sorrow, even in protest, bewilderment, uh, and bewilderment of the devastation of God's wrath. You can almost hear them say, God, it's just not fair. Verse 20, look, oh God, see with whom you, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of the womb, the children, their tender care, talking about cannibalism, should priests and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord in the dust of the streets lie young and old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of anger, slaughtered without pity. You've summoned as if to a festival, my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived those whom I've held and raised my enemy destroyed. It's okay to vent with God, to cry out to him. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, the ears toward a cry. The Psalm goes on in Psalm 34, 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the broken heart and saves the Christian spirit. When we cry out to God, it is a deep expression of trust in the Lord. One commentator put it this way, to cry out to the Lord is to reveal our absolute dependence upon him. In our tearful pleas, we acknowledge our human frailties, weaknesses, and shortcomings, our inability to overcome the mount of mounting problems before us. Our cries show our trust is in him to act on our behalf. We freely surrender self-will to his perfect sovereign will. You see, God wants our honest, open, raw, broken expressions. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth, in honesty. Jesus encourages the woman at the well, and I wish I could go through and walk through the story of the woman at the well in John chapter four, where she was so wrapped up in her life, trying to hide in every way and, Jesus brought honesty to her to drink in the living water of connection with God. And it changed her life. Read about it. John chapter four to cry out is to, to in humility, surrender and to trust in the mercy of God, trusting in God's answer. And Jesus will revive he will deliver. He will bring victory. He will bring peace. He will restore. For lamenting distance from God can lead to a deeper connection with Jesus' presence and peace. So why not cry out to the Lord? We are emotional beings. God made us that way. Lament is part of life, especially in lamenting our distance from God. And in that we can turn back as we name the consequences, as we own the choices, and as we cry out to God, the question is, will you? For lamenting distance from God can lead to a deeper connection to Jesus' presence and his peace. And it's a good practice to make time and to take time to lament that distance from God. We're going to prepare for a time of communion and actually give you an opportunity to Maybe even take some time to lament. To be able to take this time and to come before the Lord and just to cry out to him. Some of you have turned your back on God. 
You're going in a way that is not in God's design. And you know it. And he's been convicting you time and time again. And you may be even feeling the fact that he has released you over to the consequences of your sin. And maybe that's even why you're here. Praise God for that. And I'm sorry for the anguish and angst you're feeling, but you can turn back to God. It takes a broken spirit and a willingness to say, I, God, am, I don't know. I just am not right. And I confess and begin to confess those things that he brings to your mind because he will. It's so fitting that we have communion on this day. Because communion is all about restoring back to that connection to Christ. Communion was started with Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. They were talking about God's restoration and that it's coming out of a, a special ceremony reminding us of God's redemption. And Jesus pulled out two elements and said, this is the the cup is full of grape juice. It's red like blood. It doesn't become blood. It's just simply a symbol. And Jesus said, this is, the symbol is now my blood, my death. From my death, you now have peace with God. And then he took the bread and broke it and passed it around to everybody because he is the bread of life. And in him and his way of life is where the greatest life you will ever experience is found there. I tried to live on my own. I thought I had it all wrapped up. Man, was I wrong. But the life I have in Christ is incredibly freeing. It's not a bunch of rules to follow. It's about a relationship with God that just infills your whole life. And you can experience that freshness and that newness of Him. Many of you have experienced that. Some of you need to turn back to God, take this time before communion and confess those cry out to him. Some of you, you never received the Lord and here's an opportunity for you. It's to believe that you're sinful and that Jesus is your savior, that he paid for your sin on the cross and through belief and, and through words, just say, God, I get it. I am that way. I, I, I'm sinful. I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe it's you. And you can make that decision and take communion the first time really understanding what this good news, this gospel of Jesus is. Now, our custom here is that we have stations on different places in the auditorium. And I'm asking our elders to come and take that place. They'll move here. And you take some time in prayer as a song is being played and sung. And then when you're ready, come and take the elements and hold on to them. And we'll take them all together. Uh, and we'll be led all together taking through these elements in a moment. But do take this time. Lament before God. Maybe even lament that distance with God. And then we'll come back and take these together. Let's have this time be a worshipful time.